3: Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Melissa Lee. And today for Scott Wapner, stocks recouping more than half their losses since the January to June plunge. Can this rally keep going with new fears about China's economic growth? We'll debate that and much more. The next move for your money coming up. Our investment committee today, Carrie Firestone, Steve Weiss and Joe Terranova. Let's get a check on these markets this hour. Stocks have actually turned positive. The S&P 500 coming off its fourth positive week in a row. Right now it's higher by just two-tenths of a percent. NASDAQ uh, clocking in a four-tenths of a percent gain here. Watching the 10-year note stay relatively calm. 2.78% is where we stand right now. What do we make of this rally? I'm not going to go to Weiss. I think we all know where Weiss stands on this. I'll go to Carrie first. Carrie, start us off.
4: Well, Melissa, it's... Interesting, after four straight weeks higher and the S&P up 17%, NASDAQ up 23%, I think we were all expecting there to be some consolidation and the market to take a break. But the fact that we pushed through from lower to higher right now shows that there are plenty of people out there interested in buying even after this gain in, in all of the indices. And that says something about the resilience of the market, And the fact that the Fed may really be cutting back on its aggressiveness, inflation may really be coming down. We see that WTI, meaning the price of oil, is back under 90 today. And so people are feeling better about the second half and looking forward into 2023 in terms of earnings momentum. And that shows that perhaps we can carry this rally further, even if there's some consolidation. We feel it's unlikely that we go back to the prior loans lows of june 16th and that we're more comfortable paying up for stocks interest rates are not going to continue to rise as high as was expected yeah on a monday morning
3: like this is at an interesting crossroads and we mentioned that 50 percent retracement at the top um you know strategists are are busy 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 over the weekend putting out their notes and today we got um, some very very differing views from a Morgan Stanley, Mike Wilson, who is on this program and the network very often. I don't want to say perma bear, but he is, has a bearish view in the market, and JP Morgan, which has been very bullish on the street. And I, I bring these two opposite points of view up because it really underscores, Joe, the confusion on where the markets could go next now that we're here sitting you know, off of this tremendous run from June lows. What do you think?
2: Well, I think it's important to focus exactly on that, where the market could go. And and all uh, all indications to me from certainly a technical perspective is that both the S&P and the NASDAQ is clearly targeting the 200-day moving average, um, which sits slightly above where we are currently. Carrie mentioned the resiliency in the market today. but But overwhelmingly, coming out of the month of June, there was this Uh, extreme pessimism, and there certainly was an underweight towards the growth strategy. There was an underweight towards the growth strategy because there was this expectation uh, that any form of moderation and inflation would be difficult to achieve. Well, you're getting that through an economic contraction. Quite candidly, uh, the weakness in in China is going to help the efforts of the Federal Reserve combating inflation because you're going to be importing those deflationary pressures from both China and Europe. So, Melissa, growth is coming back as a strategy. Uh, You're seeing that both institutional and retail investors are rebuilding positions there. And that's a significant catalyst for the market with growth being over 40% of the weighting of the S&P 500. So I think there is more upside potential here. I think what Mike Wilson is speaking about in his note is obvious to all. We know that on September 1st the balance sheet tightening is going to increase. It's going to double in size for treasuries and mortgage backed securities. We know that in October we're going to hear about the challenges towards earnings. We know that oil has a fundamental concern that you push into the fall. But for the moment where we are right now the technicals are clearly pushing us higher towards that 200 day moving average
3: sure on the going forward part though mike wilson also underscores the notion that the setup for equities just isn't as good as it had been before from a policy perspective from a rate perspective from an earnings perspective steve weiss and i go to you last because speaking of underweight i mean you're you're basically underweight equities period in your portfolio
5: yeah, I've actually, you know, I'm sort of disappointing you, Mel, a little bit. Why? That, uh, I How know every you, day you, four you, minutes you look. minutes into at the you,
3: show and you're disappointed you, you, in me already? I mean, you're right. welcome. Yeah, I know I, Mel, I mean, well, first of all, I never, it, never
5: First of all, Mel, it, 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 it's a low bar, Mel. First of all, but uh, but look, every day I know you look at your inbox and you search for my name to see what I sent you, and today what I sent when the mark was looking down was that, hey, I wouldn't be surprised to see the market move up because the focus will turn to the fact that energy is down again, meaning that people will think that inflation is going to continue to decline and that China is stimulating their economy by, by cutting rates by, by 10 bips. So this is a glass half full market, which is why I added meaningful equity exposure. Now's not the time you have to worry. Where you have to worry is you get in September, October, and the rate increase that we've seen in the U.S. start to take effect. People just aren't doing their work. Well, everybody talks about this is a much better earnings reporting season than what people had expected. It's just not true. If you take out energy earnings, actual earnings were down 3.7% without the Fed hikes taking effect. Revenues weren't blow away. And in fact, the beats... The surprises, the upside surprises, were, the, were below the five-year average. So when you're in a rate-tightening environment, as we've seen over the last couple of months, you don't get multiple expansion. So that's temporary. Now, I agree with Carrie. I don't think we're going to test the old lows. She said we won't revisit them. I don't know if we do or not. But right now, I'm still playing for the market to continue to advance higher because I think that it will have added some more exposure, bought Skyworks, Uh, back, which I haven't owned for a long time. And uh, that's more of a trade in semis. So look, as I said, the market's going to tell a different story. We're seeing seeing headcount reductions across the board, not just at Microsoft or Alphabet. We'll see them in other places as well. And it's just not so easy as it seems to be. There are, I think, troubled waters ahead. So right now, don't worry about them. But come September, October, typically difficult seasonal times for the market. You could see a different story.
3: Time out here. Time out here. Weiss, when you say meaningful exposure, you added meaningful exposure. What does that mean exactly?
5: Well, that, that's that's not a They'll new never story. Say. You know, I've been there for. <laughs> you know, it may be new to you, Mel, and and now you really you really hurting me. So you haven't been watching my clips over the last couple of weeks. I'm a little behind. I've I've been watching
3: Carrie's clips instead.
5: Yeah, well, uh, pretty good. you should be watching them both. (laughs) Uh, Enough said. Uh, Look, you know, right now I'm close to 70% invested. um, And a lot of that comes through indices, uh, through the Qs, through the SMH, although uh, I shaved the SMH a little bit, uh, not much. But it comes to that. But also, I have added Deer, which is down a little bit today. Devon, and before people say Weiss says energy is not investable, yet he's bought into it. You know what? There's not one energy fund that's up over the last 10 years. So it is uninvestable, but it's extremely tradable. Yeah. So Devon, natural gas play, 50% oil. So that's why I'm there. Own a little Enterprise actually uh, for the yield um, and for uh, for not having done much. All
3: right. Uh, let's get the technical take on where the market goes from here. Joining us on the phone is Jonathan Krinsky. Um, Jonathan, 50 percent retracement is a big deal is made of that. Where do you think the markets go from here? Because as I understand it, we don't usually make new lows once we've hit that 50 percent mark. But we we have tested prior lows in circumstances such as this.
6: Yeah, I think um, it was significant that we closed above 4231 on Friday because, as you mentioned, um, that is the 50 percent retracement of the entire bear market decline. And since 1950, we've never seen an S&P 500 uh, have a 20 percent drawdown, retrace more than 50 percent, and then make new uh, new cycle lows. So I think from a from a medium or long term perspective, the odds or history would suggest that those June lows are probably um, intact. Those probably are the lowest for the cycle but as you mentioned three periods that we we would note that did see actually meaningful drawdowns Pretty soon after that 50% retracement, uh, one was 1974, you went a little bit higher, and then you had about a 14% drawdown. Uh, and then 2004 was a very choppy period. You, you basically went sideways for eight months with a 8% drawdown throughout that choppy period. And then um, more recently in December of 2009, when we hit that 50% retracement, you also had about a, uh, an 8% drawdown. So I think the message here is that um, you know, from a long-term perspective, we could probably make the case that the lows have been seen, but that does not mean from a tactical or short-term perspective that you want to just flip everything and, and pile in all in long here, because we've, we've had a pretty good run, and, uh, you know, a lot, of the, a lot of the indicators we look at are screaming pretty severe overbought conditions, so uh, it would not be surprising to see a, a bit of a pullback here in the near term.
3: Jerry, you got a question? I do, Jonathan. Yeah, good uh, to see so you. So, uh, Joe, ha- sorry.
2: Jonathan, good to see you. Uh, so how do you think the the non-discretionary rules-based funds are going to factor in here? Because here's what's going to happen. As the market moves higher and you exceed these 200-day moving averages, uh, which in the case of you know the NASDAQ, you really haven't been above with any degree of sustained momentum since early in January, you're going to see those funds step in and buy the market uh, doesn't that lead to further acceleration? That that leads this recovery into the 60 to 65 recovery range, and how should we think about things then?
6: Yeah, I mean, look, those those systematic funds work both ways, as you know, right? So um, they buy more as things go higher. Conversely, if if we were to roll back over, they they could become sellers. Um, I would say that you know the the 200-day moving average is is the next key level we'd be watching. It's it, it's it's important to note though it's declining pretty severely and typically when you rally into a declining 200 day moving average the first attempt is usually rejected um, not always but pretty that's a pretty good uh you know, assumption. So our sense is, you you know, if you get any further strength, you get rejected off that. If it's important to then watch the reaction to that. If we kind of you know base out sideways and don't give much back off that first rejection, you know, then to your point, maybe there's more uh, controlled buying as we push and, and move up that. But our assumption is that's probably not going to happen on the first attempt.
4: Carrie. Uh, so, Jonathan, what um, you were f- framing earlier, which were periods where the market had had a strong recovery and then gave some back. You know, I think all of us would be comfortable if the markets up twenty percent and it, it went back to the hundred day or gave up eight percent, ten percent, the twenty percent. We'd be comfortable living with that. And when, when you talked about. Um, how we're overbought in places. It feels that where we're most overbought are the same stocks that were sold down 80% plus, whether it's you know Carvana, Affirm, uh, AMC, other meme stocks, uh, Coinbase. And those were way overvalued, of course. So I'm wondering if you think about uh, the, the names that were sold down 20 to 35%, whether it was you know, Apple, Google, look across the board at growth stocks generally, but many others. Do you really feel that they're overbought at this point to the same degree?
6: Uh, I mean, there there are a lot of stocks that are certainly overbought, depending on the time frame you use. You know, it's, what's interesting of late is it's actually there's actually been a renewed uh, resurgence in some of the defensive names, so utilities, staples, even REITs um, are, are actually getting pretty overbought here as well. So it's really you know pretty much across the board, Um, but that's what happens when you have this type of move off the lows. There's, you know, correlations are high, and so there's not as much uh, differentiation. The one area that's not really that overbought are kind of the inflation... You know, commodity plays, energy and some materials. So I think that's interesting. We, we obviously are seeing a big pullback in crude today, but I think um, in parts of last week, you actually saw a bit of kind of resurgence in some of the commodities. So uh, we'll be watching that closely, but um, I think as far as what areas are overbought, it's pretty broad-based at this point.
3: Jonathan, you make the point that uh, Russell nice. 2K, Transportation Index, they are both above their 200-day moving average. That doesn't make you any more... Um, bullish or, or any more sort of willing to accept the idea that maybe, you know, we go higher in a meaningful way?
6: Yeah, I mean, look, small caps have been showing some improving relative strength, and we have to remember that they peaked in uh, much earlier than the than the S and P. They peaked, um, for all intents and purposes, in the spring of 21. They did make a marginal marginal new high in uh, in the fall, but um, so they've been in a bear market for the most part for, for 18 months. So they can potentially, you know, begin to improve even if um, we need to see some some pullback or consolidation in in the, in the larger caps. Um, but again, I think it's you know it's a I think they've been above it for about a day or two. So, um, you know, we'll see how they act in the in the rest of the week.
3: Joe, you got a quick question.
2: Real quick, uh, I promise. Jonathan, do you think at the very least, worst case scenario, we've presented once again or reinstitute the buy the dip mentality if the market goes down? Because that's been missing all year.
6: Yeah, I mean, look, you can see it in the action since July. Um, mm-hmm. The reaction to negative news, uh, the reaction to positive news, there, there's there been a clear change in that tone. Um, but again, a lot of that is driven, and you've talked about this as well, by positioning, right? Positioning was clearly, um, you know, one side of the boat towards the end of June. And so I think the action up till now has really just been a positioning story. Um, and I think the the rest of the month will, and into September will kind of give more of a true picture of, you know, are the you know, is the market, you know, ready to to go back and, you know, challenge where it was at the end of last year? We'd say probably not in the near term, Um, you know, because now positioning is certainly, um, I'd say, a bit more neutralized as opposed to offsides at the end of June.
3: All right. Jonathan, great to have you. Thank you. Jonathan Krinsky. BTIG um, Positioning into what will be a very key week, we have to mention that we're going to get a, a, re, a more real-time read on the consumer this week from earnings versus the CPI print that we cheered roundly last week, Steve Weiss. So what do you think?
5: Yeah, it's going to be kind of interesting, and, and the question is has have expectations, pick Target for example because I own it, been set low enough where they can beat them. Target's had a really nice rally here so the bet is that, uh, that the CEO is not going to miss four times in a row. So that's the bet I'm making. I haven't decided if I'm going to stay there or not when they report. But look, the consumer, it's unquestionable that the consumer has been put back on their heels. And I'm not talking about people like Carrie and Joe and, and you, Mel, you above all, of course. Uh, but, uh, but others, you know, they're seeing that prices in food are still exorbitantly high. Sure, we've seen some pullback. Inflation, Energy prices have come down. But I don't know if they came down in time for the quarter to be reported. So guidance might be a little better than what we're normally thinking. But the quarter's already been baked for a while when inflation was at its peak. So I'd say I'm somewhat cautious on them. There's a big appetite to buy them. I believe that some are clearly ahead of themselves. So so I don't know what it'll be. But the consumer, you know, salaries haven't gone up. In line with uh, with inflation, and it's gotten pretty expensive for the average person out there.
3: Yeah, we're starting to see. I mean, New York manufacturing was just a disaster this morning, Carrie. Um, we also, you know, of course, we're hearing about layoffs in the in the white collar area as well. So it may not just be, you know, the lower income consumer that we have to be concerned about. Not that we have to be concerned about wealthy consumers, but in terms of the impact on the overall economy. Everyone matters uh, in in this economy here. And if we all slow down, then that's not good news for these retailers, Carrie.
4: That's definitely true. And Steve, how's that Lamborghini driving? So um, I, I would say that if we think about what the market cares about, which is that we don't have a very, very aggressive Fed and we don't have runaway inflation, that's the overriding concern of the market slowing the consumer is critical Um, manufacturing some layoffs weakness or weaker than expected numbers at retailers that has to be part of an equation that will end up with lower inflation and interest rates that don't keep going much higher so you have to have some of the bad to Mm -hmm. get to the good eventually and this market is, is able to look through that uh, now that may not persist and there's a there's a price there's a price level at which you know people will become uncomfortable with pricing in a weak environment if not a quasi recession or a real recession so it's a fine balance and no one's expecting these um, consumer numbers to be very strong on the retail side but they're probably not going to be as weak as many investors were worried about three months ago
3: all right let's get more on the economy Let's say the consumer bring in senior economics reporter steve leesman who had a very interesting interview today with former fed governor bill dudley who says the market is misunderstanding what the fed is trying to do and i remember back to the bloomberg opinion piece that he had i forgot when two months ago two and a half months ago Steve, when he said the byproduct of what the Fed is trying to do will be higher unemployment, will be asset prices coming down, and the markets right now don't seem to want to believe that.
7: Yeah, that's pretty much uh, a good summary, Melissa, of what the the former New York Fed president is saying. Uh, He's basically saying uh, two things. The market has the outlook for the Fed wrong, and the Fed has the outlook for the economy wrong. And the extent to which these are related is an interesting question, but let me take them one by one. If you look at the rate outlook, you can see that the, Fed, the the market has priced in the Fed cutting rates towards the end of 2023. We've talked about this a lot. It remains in there as a forecast. We've had several Fed officials come on and say, you know what, that's not the case. We're more likely to go up even further than the market has priced in there. You can see like a 360 a change uh, number there for a peak funds rate. Some guys are at 375 to 4, some are even above 4. Um, but they're saying that, that that cut towards the end of next year, that's not on. That's on the one hand. On the other hand, uh, Melissa, is the economic outlook where uh, the Fed has built in, um, you know, 4% and change inflation, uh, unemployment numbers. Uh, Dudley says that's not going to happen. We're going to have to go substantially higher in order to get the uh, slack in the economy that's needed to bring down inflation. And fundamentally, what, what Dudley is saying is the market doesn't believe Powell's commitment, the Fed chair Jay Powell's commitment to bringing inflation down to
3: 2%. So if, the market does, if he says the market doesn't believe Powell's commitment, that means, oh, so that means that the, he basically is saying the markets think he's, they're going to pivot sooner, take their foot off the gas, so to speak, sooner instead of pressing hard and making yeah, sure I that mean, inflation, I've, yeah.
7: Absolutely. The market built in this pivot that I mm-hmm. didn't personally hear, but the market did it. And I, the trouble with this, Melissa, is it's a one-way conversation. If you're at the Fed and the market misunderstands you, it is your fault at the Fed. You need to make it clear to the market. The market doesn't have this sort of ability to come back and say, raise your hand and say, excuse me, we don't understand. No, you need to make the market understand. The, the responsibility is all on you as a policymaker to see that the market understands what you want to happen here.
3: I guess Jackson Hole will be even more key than usual. Steve, thank you. Pleasure. Steve Leisman. Joe, the markets have it wrong? Because in that case, we're completely off sides in the way people are positioned.
2: If you're buying the market because you expect the Federal Reserve is going to make some dramatic pivot, that's the wrong reason to do it. Maybe the market is signaling that there's credibility in the effort of the Federal Reserve, that maybe the enemy, which is inflation, and the effort to combat it, Is actually working now I understand the price to be paid for that is an economic contraction that's clear we understand that and the last area of the economy really that has to come down would be the housing market and we're beginning to see the signal there as well but I think we the market if it's going to have a sustained rally it's got to have that sustained rally because there's an acknowledgement or we're integrating the belief that as you look forward Inflation is going to come down, and it's going to come down by a continued commitment on the part of the Federal Reserve, as Steve said, to take the slack out of the economy by raising the cost of capital and therefore contracting the economy. The question becomes shallow recession or deep recession.
3: Mm -hmm. Yep. Big question there. Coming up, our halftime... I'm in the T's, Steve, but Judge I'll, I'll let you second. comment. You know, this whole notion that I've disappointed you already five minutes into the show um, really is, is <laughs> irking me. So go ahead. Speak your mind. Don't worry it, about it, the rest of the show.
5: It, it, it was OK. Set the record straight. It was four minutes into the show. Okay. Now, look, here, here's what I'd say. The only question you have to ask yourself is, does the Fed want the economy to slow down and does it have the power to do it? Yes. And the answer to both of those is Yes. And that's what should drive your investment perspective going out a little bit. This is a bear market rally, and it'll come down again. We've seen the worst of it, but still, don't count on this being the permanent direction and that we've entered a new bull market that's going to go straight up.
3: May I take a break now, Steve?
5: Sure. Please, please go ahead.
3: <laughs> Coming up. Our halftime headliner, BMO's Brian Belsky, his take on where stocks go from here. Halftime's back in two minutes.
9: Welcome back to Halftime. I'm Bertha Coombs, and here's your news update at this hour. At least three Ukrainian civilians have been killed and 20 others wounded in the latest artillery barrages from the Russian military. Ukraine's parliament has extended martial law and the country's general mobilization for another 90 days. British drug regulators have become the first in the world to authorize an updated version of Moderna's coronavirus vaccine that aims to protect against the original virus and the Omicron variant. It will be used as an adult booster shot. And more than 13,000 pounds of frozen pizza have been recalled over fears they might have been contaminated with extraneous materials, specifically metal. The pizzas by chicago's home run in topped with sausage pepperoni onions and peppers would have a best by date of december 3rd and should be thrown out yeah metal is not my favorite topping melissa
3: i mean i'd even take pineapple over metal that says a lot oh i'd love pineapple. Um, <laughs> bertha <laughs> thanks pineapple bertha coombs let's bring in our halftime headliner now brian belsky chief investment strategist at bmo brian Still a bull, still Melissa. a bull, 12% upside from here.
10: Melissa, yes, by the way, thanks so much for having us. And I, and I must say I am so impressed, and, and I must give you a vote of confidence in how you're managing Weiss today. I mean, it's just fantastic. Thanks for, <laughs> thanks, for thanks for, giving him guff. Yeah, we're still <laughs> bullish, shocker. Uh, but I would say this. I think people have to have a little uh, review. We've never thought we left the secular bull market. You can have cyclical bears, within a secular bull. We think the secular bull market started in 2009, 2010, is gonna last 20 to 25 years. It's not that we're being stubborn. We actually believe in fortress America, in Canada consistency, we call it. We think that equity assets continue to come back to the US. And we've seen this cyclical bear market do what it was supposed to do, take out a lot of the froth in the market. It kind of reset the next few years as the market, society, earnings, valuation, companies, all transition back to normalcy. I think the bears are prideful. Uh, I think they're stubborn. I think that they are focusing too much on academics and they are confusing real life. And what's real life? We talk about the consumer having issues and we talk about the consumer being 70% of the economy. I get Mm -hmm. that and that's true, however, what we're missing is the backbone of our economy are small mid cap companies, both private and public. If you take a look at how small mid cap is done, and we do this, Melissa, by the real live money portfolio that we manage for U.S. wealth here in, in the United States for BMO. Our small mid cap, our Smith Cap portfolio, has massively outperformed. Uh, the market did a very good job. Krinsky talks about an 18 month Bear market. We've had more like a like a 10-year bear market in small mid-cap, but when you start to see small mid-cap move, uh, I think that's a sign. Now, also on the on the private side, Melissa, I have the very good fortune. I've said this on air too, that I get to travel around North America and talk to BMO's clients uh, that we have commercial banking clients, and they're very bullish. And oh by the way, they doubled down on on being bullish in July and August in terms of taking loans out to facilitate growth. So. That's the underlying parts of where I think so, the bears are missing, and I think it's not talked about enough.
3: So the backdrop to a 4800 price target, um, and that is year-end, Brian, or, or 12 months from now? because no, it's year-end. It's year-end. It's year-end. Year end, yeah, year now, remember. Was, so was, so was that's re- basically, you're basically revisiting highs, yeah, right? So, I mean, that's, that's, that's your call. And yet the backdrop in the back half of the year could be higher unemployment. Yeah, we don't be. know that,
10: though. So we don't know that, so Melissa, because- So you think that the
3: economic outlook of higher unemployment and, I mean, you, you think that's wrong, that we can still achieve lower inflation without ticking higher unemployment?
10: So, so that's two different things. Higher employment and ticking higher unemployment are two different things, right? So mm-hmm. if you're talking about 4 or 5% unemployment, I went back and looked at. Someone told me I have like a YouTube channel, and I looked back at like 2009 <laughs> or 10. I didn't even know this because I don't ever even watch myself. But I was. T- we were talking about 11, 12 percent unemployment, and we're in the middle of a big cyclical bull market, and the Fed was going in the opposite direction. And we're talking about: Are we ever going to get sub 10 percent unemployment? Even if we get into the fours, uh, I think the big thing that people are missing is. The high end wages, obviously on Wall Street, we're not getting paid what we got paid last year. We're not. And and that's just the reality of it. But the lower end wages are gonna be coming up as blue-collar workers continue to take on a lot of the supply chain changes that we're we're ultimately gonna see as we transition to jobs and onshoring. Farmer Jim talks about, he's not on the show today, but he talks a lot about that. So the E part of the employment side, I think, is going to hold in better than everybody thinks. And so, too, is the earnings thing. The bears are completely overshadowing and overlooking what happened in second quarter, 270 basis points higher with the earnings. And my bet is that earnings are going to hold in a lot better than everybody thinks because the secular trend, not the cyclical but the secular trend, 20 to 25 years as this has been going on, since the tech wreck, Melissa, that corporate America has been sandbagging the number, under promise and over-deliver, and they've built in this inherent cushion. So anybody looking at seasonality of earnings for the second half, they've got it wrong. It's too academic.
3: All right. We've got to leave it there. Brian, good to see you. Thank you. Thanks. Brian Belski, Steve Weiss, your quick take on Brian Belski's thoughts.
5: Well, I think the only thing that he said was right is that you and I are having an intelligent exchange today. Uh, As I said before, (laughs) earnings were down. He's quoting a figure that they were up, including the energy (laughs) earnings. You take out energy, energy earnings were down. Uh, He keeps focusing on the bears. I'm a realist. And even though I did teach at a business school, uh, I'm not an academic. I'm just looking at the facts. And the market can't be at 4900 at the end of the year when it was there based upon completely free money globally. Now, every economy, with the exception of China, is tightening that means anything. So that just removes all that stimulus, so you can't be at the same spot. I'd say it's mathematically uh, impossible to do that. So look, can the market still go up? Sure it can. Because people always want to look at the market being half full. And I get that over an extended period of time, but I just don't see that as a target.
3: All right, we have to go to break right now. Coming up at the big ETFs to watch in today's trade, Dan Loeb's Third Point Hedge Fund taking a new stake in Disney. What it means for the company and investors. half back in two. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones...
0: Welcome to the ETF Edge portion of Halftime Report. I'm Bob Pisani. There is a wave of single-stock ETFs descending on the marketplace. These aren't your grandmother's ETFs that just invest in passive indexes like the S&P 500. Oh, no. These single-stock ETFs allow investors to go both leverage long and to bet short against individual stocks. There's currently single-stock ETFs that have just been launched for Tesla, Apple, Coinbase, Nike, Pfizer, PayPal, NVIDIA. More are coming Tesla, in particular, has attracted interest. There are now five single-stock Tesla ETFs, five of them. Four of these launched just last week. Let's talk to the two men who launched them. Will Ryan is the CEO of Granite Shares. Dave Matza is the managing director and the head of product at the Both of them joining us now. Dave, I'll start with you. You launched four single-stock ETFs last week, two for Apple, two for Tesla. Your Tesla daily bull ETF gets investors one-and-a-half times Tesla's daily return. So how would you describe the trading action? What's going on? And who are you targeting this product to considering it resets every day?
11: Yeah, you're absolutely right, Bob. This is really a new wave of innovation in the ETF space. Uh, And primarily our Tesla fund, TSLL, has seen significant increase in volume as traders. And these are tools intended to be used uh, by active traders because of their daily reset who have the ability to make a buy, sell, or hold decision again daily to express views both positively and negatively on individual securities, whether that's Tesla or, in our case, Apple. So we're excited about being able to bring this innovation to the ETF space, as the ETF wrapper has a significant amount of resiliency, again. But these are tools intended to be used for traders, have the convenience of an ETF, the ability not to have to uh, use margin, for example, to express uh, a leverage viewpoint, if you will.
0: I'm impressed with the volume. You, m- you have to be happy. At least the Tesla product seems to be attracting a lot of trading interest. Yeah,
11: that's correct. So I think, again, Tesla is a name that uh, is very controversial, right? We have folks who are extremely positive on uh, on uh, on the company and others uh, maybe not so much. And in this particular yeah. example, uh, we offer one point times uh, the performance of the common shares of Tesla on a daily basis so that traders can express that viewpoint again yeah. in the convenience uh, of an ETF.
0: OK, now, Will, you've just launched Apple, Coinbase, Coinbase and Tesla single stock ETFs. Uh, you know, these leveraged inverse ETFs have been around for a long time for the indexes, for like the NASDAQ 100. But all of a sudden, single stock ETFs, leverage and inverse, have descended on us out of nowhere. Why now? I mean, what, what caused you guys to suddenly decide this is the moment for single stock ETFs? Well, very simply, there was a rule change, a regulatory rule change in the last couple of years that allowed new companies such as ourselves to, number one, offer leveraged and in ETFs, and then number two, offer single stocks. Single underlying leveraged funds have been popular, particularly in the commodity space, with oil, natural gas, et cetera. But now we're able to bring that in individual companies as well, both long and short. We're gonna talk a lot more about this. If you wanna learn more on single stock ETFs, you're in the right spot. How they work, what else is coming? Tune into ETF Edge at 1 p.m. Eastern time. Will and Dave is gonna be joined by Reggie Brown. He's a principal at GTS. He's one of the great legends of the ETF business. He's gonna share his insights and his concerns about these new products. ETFedge.cnbc.com. Halftime returns right after this.
3: Welcome back to Halftime Reports. Senior markets commentator Mike Santelli joins us now from the NYSE with his midday word. Mike, it does feel like we're at some sort of pause here ahead of a lot of retail earnings uh, in Fed Minutes this week.
1: Certainly would be logical to pause right here, Melissa. 3% up last week, up 17% from the lows in less than a month. Uh, that being said, it seems like another one of those mornings where the globe was concerned about things and markets were, were definitely retreating from risk until the U.S. opened and, and Europe closed. And now we all of a sudden have a bid. It seems very tactical. Uh, obviously, there's a little bit uh, of a sense of a positioning shock. People did not have enough exposure to equities at the lows or even up until last week. Now there's some technical reassurance with these breath and momentum indicators kicking in. So, yes, there should probably be a pause at some point. But I think U.S. investors say energy prices down is probably the best real time clue as to whether the Fed can turn a little bit more dovish. So that's one of the reasons I think we're not uh, kind of going along with what happened with global markets and the oil price drop.
3: It's funny because it's, it's, all behind, it's, it's all the reason why energy prices are down. Energy prices yeah. are down because China's growth was terrible <laughs> or, yeah. or looking pretty negative. And so then that's license for the Fed to pause. I mean, a, a slowdown well, in something the Fed has no control over is the reason why people think the Fed could pause.
1: Well, sure. But but the practical effect of the right. fact that we now have this downtrend in oil and, you know, what the thing about the tight supply story was keeping oil at levels that were uncomfortable for a long time. So anything that seems like loosening of supply. And by the way, when China comes back online and maybe they get back to work and everything, it's not like they're going to do the commutes they didn't do for these last few months. So it's you know, there's some help on the supply side just because China has has low has had lower demand at this point.
3: All right, Mike, thank you. Mike Santoli with his midday word. See you later. Disney and Cardinal Health pushing higher on hedge fund moves. We're following the money next. Halftime's back in two. Dan Loeb's third point hedge fund taking a new stake in Disney. Leslie Pickers following the money. Leslie.
12: Hey, Melissa, Uh, preempting its own 13F filing is Third Point, revealing in a letter today that it's back in Disney. Dan Loeb didn't say the size of his stake, but gave some unsolicited advice to, quote, unlock further value in the near term. He detailed these suggestions to CEO Bob Chapek, which included a cost-cutting program, the continued suspension of the dividend, the acquisition of the rest of Hulu, a spinoff of ESPN, and a board refresh. We haven't yet received third points 13F. Those are due out tonight. So it's unclear at this point if this is a position the firm held at the end of the second quarter or if it bought in in the six weeks since. Also in the activism world today, the Wall Street Journal reporting just moments ago that Elliott has a, quote, large position in Cardinal Health and is seeking five seats on the 11-person board. The article cites people familiar with the matter. Uh, the journal goes on to say that Elliott's, quote, exact intentions couldn't be learned there, um, although speculated based on some analyst notes that potentially they'd be looking off, looking at a spinoff or, you know, ways to trim down that business a bit. Melissa.
3: All right,
2: Leslie, thank you. Leslie Picker. Joe, you like Disney? We've got some
3: problems with Joe's audio, so We'll work on that uh, in the meantime. Carrie, how about you? Uh, Cardinal or Disney, where
4: do you go? Well, Cardinal's had this enormous jump right here. So I think Disney at this price is, is more interesting. It's had a big move. It's up 37% from the bottom. Uh, sells for 24 times, next 12-month earnings. So it's not cheap. It was cheap, though. It was oversold because of fears that streaming was not going to meet expectations. And the company did a very smart thing. They took down their guidance or or, or their goal for streaming subs, Uh, by the end of next year and what they said is we're not going to get to that number but we're raising price and so the market was very comfortable with that and we know the theme parks are doing great and travel is fantastic uh the movie business and their marvel um, whole enterprise is you know it's having a, a a reasonable year not great i think they have to show us what they can do over the next couple of years. But Disney stock was very kind of under pressure, oversold. And I think that buying into it was a very good move that Dan Love made. All right, coming up, a big week ahead for retail earnings, including two
3: Dow stocks, Home Depot and Walmart. Trades from the committee, next on the Halftime Report. Walmart and Home Depot kicking off retail earnings tomorrow morning. Carrie, you own Home Depot. So what do you think?
4: Well, it's going to be interesting because this is obviously a housing related stock and it's consumer. And and we know that there's higher interest rates. But most of Home Depot's business is about maintenance. It's not about new home sales and rebuilding. It's it's about keeping up the home. And the stock came way down. I mean, it, it dropped over 30% from its peak. It sells for 18 times um, earnings now. That's a low multiple relative to history. And so we think even if they don't really knock it out of the park with a great uh, guidance, that the market is going to look forward to what we see as, you know, potentially uh, interest rates having peaked on the 10-year and that the, the market for maintenance and do-it-yourself is still growing and they're still gaining market share.
3: Yeah, it, it seems like the Home Depot customer might feel higher rates a little bit more sharply than than other uh, customers in retail. Joe, you own the likes of an Amazon or a Lulu. Um, what are you thinking about retail and, and the guidance that the retailers will give?
2: Well, first of all, I think there's very low expectations uh, for retail. I think from a positioning perspective, that's carried as an underweight as well. And I, I think that's somewhat understandable, Melissa, given the environment we're in Uh, so far. And there's a lag effect to the cost of capital continuing to be raised and the economic contraction. So I I would say retail, that's the one industry I'm not particularly excited about. I know the JOT ETF has exposure to Dollar General and tractor supply. And of all the retail companies that are reporting this week, maybe Tapestry is the one name uh, that I would be a buyer of. But I think there's a lot of headwinds and challenges for retail.
3: CEO um, well, of uh, Brian Cornell at Target already talked about, you know, back to school. He expects to be strong. Halloween expects to be strong. And then you roll right into the holiday season. You're optimistic on that. At the same time, you own Dick's. And that seems to be much more in terms of exposed to the discretionary dollar, which there not, might not be a whole lot of these days.
5: Yeah, I've actually cut that trading position back a little bit, but still there. Uh, look, I'm just hoping these companies that guided uh, last quarter... Uh, are you know, set the bar low enough to exceed. I mean, Target, for example, took down numbers major league on inventory, as did Walmart. So you'd like to think that they, that they will under-promise and over-deliver at this point. So, so that's the hope. And stocks trade really on expectations and on the expectations that management set. So both were cautious last quarter, I think deservedly so. But Dix is still a cheap, cheap stock. Uh, at about 10 times earnings, actually less than that, Uh, about eight, nine times earnings. And targets Mm -hmm. come down to reasonable prices. And no offense, Carrie, but I'd love Home Depot to get crushed so I can start a position in it. Although I don't see it happening, so you may be safe.
3: No way. No way. All right. (laughs) Final Trades up next on Half.
4: Final Trades. Carrie. Fidelity National 13 times earnings, bank need to invest in technology. Steve Weiss.
5: I still think the future is very bright for deer, so I'm saying deer.
3: All right, Joe Terranova.
2: If you're concerned that the market is overbought, take a look at the healthcare sector. XLV, that's a way to track it.
3: Well, it was a pleasure to be with you today, even Steve Weiss. I'll see you tonight on Fast Money. We'll dig deeper (laughs) into Dan Loeb's new stake in Disney. And the push to spin off ESPN will be joined by former president of advertising for the Fox Network Group, Joe Marchese. 5 p.m. Eastern Time. Meantime, do not go anywhere. The exchange begins right now.
2: You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC.